0: menopause is an opportunity to reinvent and recreate yourself a lot of women with the right mindset will come on the other side feeling confident feeling more authentic and feeling brave enough and courageous enough to do the things that they hadn't done it's the time for you you're not you're not a mother you're not a wife this is about me and i'm going to do the things i want to do because i've got another 40 50 years and why not So let's look at it as something where we can
1: grow and use that wisdom uh, towards our advantage. Hi, I'm Sylvia Beckerman. Join me today as I talk to an extraordinary woman who is changing the world by making a difference in her life and the lives of those around her.
0: Good morning, everyone, or good evening if you're in the uh, Northern Hemisphere. My name is Dr. Khan, and I'm a menopause specialist based in Melbourne, Australia. And welcome to Sylvia and Me, where we're going to talk about all things perimenopause and menopause and empower you to make the decisions that are necessary for your optimal wellness.
1: Well... Dr. Khan, if I can mm-hmm. get you know familiar and call you Fatima because we yes, are having course. a just a very informal conversation, but such a necessary one. And you called yourself a menopause specialist, and that you are. So I just want to give uh, a little bit of your background. Uh, you completed your m- medical training in the United Kingdom from Imperial College of London in 2007 where you um, received a bachelor in medicine and and a bachelor in surgery. Then you achieved a bachelor in science and pharmacology and therapeutics with publication of your research. Then you did did, uh, further training in a variety of medical and surgical specialties at the renowned London teaching hospitals before obtaining membership the Royal College of General Practitioners. evidently always been passionate about women's health, and you then completed a diploma of Royal College of, of Obstetrics and Gynecologists. It takes me a while to get these words out. <laughs> you also have an advanced menopause certification accredited from the British Menopausal Society and Faculty of Reproduction, Reproductive and Sexual Health. Um, so you are the menopause specialist, and it's a topic that very few women want to sit and talk about. And not only that, but there are so many myths and, and misconceptions and, per, and mis uh, and perceptions of what menopause is then, oh my God, I must be old. I must be this. It's going to be horrific. Uh, you know, I, 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 Don't know much about it, but, oh, I heard stories and I saw, you know, so we'd like to um, get to the bottom of some of these myths uh, today while we talk. And I know that you have a holistic approach to women's physical, emotional, and mental well-being. So can you um, explain, there's perimenopause, menopause, postmenopause what is the difference other than, you know, people will know the word, you know, peri, you know, uh, before, during, and after, but how does one, um, notice or know the symptoms of, uh, going, uh, into perimenopause? So, I mean, I think let's start with just a general definition.
0: So, normally yeah. 12 months of no periods, so you've hadn't got a menstrual cycle for 12 months or more means menopause. Anything after that 12 months period is post-menopause, so you've gone through the menopause. And the and the cycle where you're starting to get slightly irregular periods or there's a change. That's your perimenopause. So the perimenopause can be anything from five to 10 years before your menopause. So you suddenly don't just stop your periods for a year. There tends to be a transition in your periods at least five to eight years before. And it can start simply as you're getting a regular monthly cycle, but they'll start becoming heavier. Or they start becoming shorter. They might become lighter. So it's a change in flow, it's the duration of it. You might start noticing things that you're skipping the period. So that's what changes we're looking for in the menstrual cycle. But the perimenopause in particular, I would suggest starts in your brain. So the changes of the lower levels of hormones, such as estrogen and fluctuating levels of even the progesterone, testosterone, will lead you to have low levels of serotonin, which is your kind of feel-good hormone. So that we you know can lead to things like low mood. Then you also have low levels of dopamine, which is your reward hormone in the brain. So you're gonna start noticing, you know, I don't I can't be bothered to do the things that I used to love doing. So you'll start noticing, and this is why in the perimenopause, things get missed as and that you're depressed or you're anxious or you may have a mental health issue. And majority of women that I speak to, and they tend to be women in their early 40s, actually, they'll notice a change in their ability to do the things they would do on a daily basis, but they're finding they're getting overwhelmed. They'll notice changes in their mood, their energy levels, but they're not going to get the hot flushes and necessarily the night sweats. They come a bit later. So normally these women will get treated with an antidepressant, and that is a warning sign. If you don't have a, you know, if there's no reason if there hasn't been a major life event, or even if there has been, you know, that this is not true depression, women themselves will know this is not true depression, because one day they'll feel great, and the
1: other day they might not. But it starts in the brain. Okay. Oh, I, I definitely agree with you on that. And the thing is that, you know, women going through, um, you know, the whole thing is PMS, PMS post and, you know, women are always looked at as if they're in a bad mood or they're moody, it must, it must be them. There must be something. And so therefore, um, you know, the, the, going to uh, being prescribed antidepressants is almost like what a woman would be. um, That's what we're supposed to do because, uh, what else could it be? Because no one talks about it. And I mean, to be fair as well, there is a
0: slight improvement. The woman will notice in the first six to eight weeks, they will notice an improvement in that mood and the anxiety. But be a, they'll be they start plateauing. And so after a year, they'll say, actually, I still don't feel right. I still don't feel right, but they'll stay on it because they're so scared to go back to that baseline. Because it will provide some benefit, but not full benefit, because we're not really treating the underlying cause, which is just hormonal fluctuations underneath. So how so
1: really reading- so how how does how does one go from figuring out that it's not an antidepressive uh, situation that they are going through a perimenopause. What should they, uh, what should they do? Do you talk to your doctor? You know, uh, I mean, most women go for a yearly exam. So if all of a sudden they start seeing their mood, you know, change and, and what, what do you suggest that they start to do? So perimenopause starts with self-awareness And self awareness only
0: starts with when you start writing things down. Because otherwise, we're so busy looking after everyone else and not us. So it's about looking inwards, sitting down, even if you don't get to do it every day, five times a week. And I normally get them to um, map out their cycle and their mood. So, how are you feeling? What are my thoughts today? How am I feeling? What's my energy? Um, and your what's your sleep like? What are your food cravings? And you map that out for one menstrual cycle, and you do it for three months, and you'll start noticing that when you have your period, you're actually fine. A week after your period, you feel really good. You have lots more energy. Most women feel their best around mid-cycle, and then a week before, you start feeling a bit sluggish. You might crave something sweet. Um, you might just not want to do that exercise until you become much more aware of what is happening to your body, you have to have that mind-body connection. And it sounds like, oh, all hippie, but it's not actually, because if you don't know what's going on with your body, how are you going to go to your medical practitioner? Because they'll just think these are all very nonspecific. But if you go saying, actually, I feel great in my first two weeks, I'm getting terrible symptoms such as migraines, low mood, anxiety, just before my periods, then we know this is not depression because depression by definition is six months, uh, sorry, six weeks of low mood, daily symptoms for six continuous weeks. So that doesn't meet that definition. So if a woman is coming to me saying, okay, this is my diary and I can completely sync it. It's down related to my period or when I ovulate or when I do this, then we know it's hormonal related. Then we can do something about it. We can target certain phases. If it's just during the PMS phase, we'll optimize that part of the cycle. And we know now that we really should be syncing the way we exercise according to our cycle. But I mean, your generation, my generation, weren't taught of that. We were supposed to function every single day the (laughs) same way. But actually, that's not true. We know the decisions we make, prior to our menstruation are slightly different. We might be a bit more cautious. We might be a bit more risk-averse compared to after a menstrual cycle. We tend to feel a lot more relaxed. We tend to take more risk and decision. And it's just evolutionary. If you ovulated and you got pregnant, that two weeks, you would ha- you potentially could be pregnant. And you would only know once you've missed that period. So they think sometimes the decision-making we made before our period, it's slightly more cautious and safe because we potentially could be pregnant and if you're pregnant you wouldn't want to jump off a cliff and run like crazy and start fighting a tiger so and if you speak to some of the women they'll say oh yeah you know like my husband will say to me or my work partners will say to me oh why was I overreacting or why was I so like worried or anxious about making this decision and it's because if you're just before your period we tend to have that the hormones that we get released, the progesterone predominantly can make us feel a lot more anxious and a lot more um, worried about making some decisions. So I think for me, the first step is to become self-aware, have that connection between the mind and body, because what's happening with your hormones is not really in your ovaries and your body, it's in your mind. And you need to appreciate that. And, and, And I think it goes back to this movement that we are the same as men, we're not, we are different. Intellectually, we're equal but physiologically oh we're not we're biologically completely different and unless we respect that and feel empowered by it and not feel vulnerable and victimized by it it's not a weakness to be a woman it's not a weakness to have these reproductive fluctuations it's because we've we've made ourselves a victim of it and what we need to say actually this is what makes us women this is what makes us creative this is what makes us compassion this compassionate and makes us the leaders that this world really needs. But that comes from our reproductive physiology. And instead of becoming, oh, my God, I hate being hormonal, it's actually, it's okay. You know, I'm I'm going to feel like this. And then you work backwards. So we know now before your periods, a week before, you shouldn't be doing a lot of cardio because the cardio puts a form of stress on your body and you'll get more anxiety symptoms and PMS symptoms. So you need to do things like maybe a bit of Pilates or low intensity workout. You could do yoga if you're feeling particularly tired. You might want to eat some more cake, that's fine. If you're craving something sweet, crave that, but you might need to increase more carbohydrates. So if you're someone who does restrictive diets, I'm not gonna have any carbohydrates. Well, that's a wrong thing because really before your period, that progesterone, you need to eat a lot more carb and if you go back, if you're potentially pregnant, you will need to start preparing for that pregnancy. And so that progesterone will make you feel craving. So it's important to listen to your body and be like, okay, I'm going to add in a bit more healthy grains and sweet potato and maybe that pumpkin. I'm not saying go binge on ice cream, (laughs) but it's about being sensible and fueling your body according to your menstrual cycle. So that part, I normally specifically tell women, you need to start, if they make certain adjustments such as eating and exercising and sleeping, the perimenopause symptoms can start improving the early symptoms.
1: Well, right there, what what you were talking about right right now is something that I know my generation never, no one ever said write anything down. No one ever said anything. There wasn't a lot of um, talk there wasn't a lot of conversation. Um, In fact, very little at all. Um, It wasn't until maybe 20 years ago, 15 years ago, where some books were put out, this is not your mother's uh, menopause, where it started getting a little bit more notice that um, this could be a good time in your life. Uh, no, it's not fun going through hot flashes, but as you're moving along, the old myths that you're going to get old, that your skin's going to go to the dogs, that you're going to get fat, that you're going to be grumpy, not true. But if we don't know anything different, uh, women start telling themselves that this is what's going to happen. So therefore- It's ingrained in them. It all plays into this cycle that we wind up getting in. Um, So a journal, so many people talk about a journal but this one happens to be something where you're taking it to a doctor to take a look at what's going on with your body. It's not just your head, but your body. Um, So now they've gone through and you've decided, you've, you've figured out from the journal, uh, you look at your patient and they are going through perimenopause. Now you have a roadmap. You have a roadmap as to diet and exercise. At that particular point in time, um, are there any, um, any hormonal uh, replacements that should take place? Or is that an, on an individual basis? Yeah,
0: it's an individual basis. So with any treatment like this, we always look at lifestyle factors first, because a lot of the time when we change those, your overall symptoms can improve. And fundamentally, it's things like alcohol can make a big difference because alcohol gets metabolized by the liver. But the liver also is an organ that metabolizes hormones. But alcohol is really a toxin for the brain and the heart and actually the body. So it would prioritize removing that. But you'll generally find the culture that we live in is when we're approaching our 40s, we've got full-time jobs, we get back, we're tired, a lot of the will pour our wine the minute they enter, then they'll have another glass of wine next to the bath. But then that's also the time when they're vulnerable to these fluctuations. So you're exacerbating your hormonal fluctuations there. So the first thing I will say Cut back on your alcohol, and that's a very easy thing to do. Make it on a social event, and that will only become through awareness because a lot of women aren't even aware because they're not journaling. They're just—it becomes a habit, and the only way we can overcome habits and lifestyle changes by realizing actually, I'm feeling quite stressed. I've had a really busy day, so instead Mm of let me just have five minutes in my closet, or I will go into my walk-in wardrobe sometimes, and literally I will just sit there for ten minutes and do some deep belly breathing and just stimulate my parasympathetic drive. And that's enough for me. I'm not gonna go for that bar of chocolate or that glass of alcohol or something that is just a crutch for coping. And it's that will only become when you become self-aware and that comes through journaling. So the one thing I say to them is reducing alcohol intake, reducing your processed foods, So we're talking about, you know, anything deep fried, processed grains. But we know the things that help with hormones are a good Mediterranean diet, which is essentially a plant-based diet, lots of green leafy vegetables, lots of broccoli, and then healthy protein is very important as well. Uh, And some good fats as well. We're too scared of fats, but, you know, avocados, seeds, and oils, they're great. And even making those changes, women, feel a different Stress management is so important. When we're stressed, the hormone cortisol is released, and that is a survival hormone. And we're in a sympathetic drive, which is, you know, fight or flight. The problem with that is we become hypervigilant. Our blood pressure is a bit high. We're looking for imminent danger. But the problem with that is, you know, you become more snappy um, or you might find you are becoming a bit impatient, and that's because you're in a sympathetic drive. Your stress hormone should be coming down in the evening, but it's not because you haven't done anything to actively bring that stress down. So we now need to actively manage stress on a daily basis. This is not a normal way of living. Driving to work, stressful in the, you know, trying to find parking, traffic, picking, dropping. This is These aren't sustainable lifestyles. We've made it a norm, but it's not. Yeah because it takes a toll on us. There is no medal sitting for us at the end to say, you know what, you did a 15 hour day and you rushed through it, well done. We need to change that culture, okay? It's important to stop, take a break. It's important to have some self-compassion and be kind and be like, it's okay. Is there need to prove to someone or anyone that I, I have to do overworking or doing the best better than everyone else to try and prove a point and I think the reason why we do these things is almost self-jeopardizing because self-sabotaging because of the way women's role is portrayed in society no one really wants to suffer but it's what's expected of us is to do the same job as a man but also 10 other jobs uh you know you come back to a job in the evening so I think until you don't Address those roles that we've adapted and conditioned to live. Women are just doing what they expected to do. They don't even know. A lot of us are unaware, including myself, as to how much I'm doing to self-sabotage
1: sabot- my short-term and long-term health. That's very true. And, and it's been that way for quite some time. And it, during the pandemic, it's even worse because of what's going on. And, you know, studies have shown that most of the stress, most of the daily needs that have to be done fall on the woman. Um, So we've talked about perimenopause and as a woman is really, um, their brain now is functioning, the fact that it's not a depressive, they're not depression. So now we get into menopause and there have been so many conflicting, uh, you should do things naturally, you should take hormone replacement, you should do this, you should do that. Uh, you know, they, it, it's, it's so aware, um, if you don't know anything, and a lot of people don't, we as women will either go to grab something or if there's a new, you know, there's a new trend out there, we're supposed to eat healthy, we're supposed to do this, everything's supposed to be natural. Can you from your point of view and your, you know, being a doctor and this is your specialty, what should a woman be doing? What is and I'm sure there's no correct in in, you know, all over, but Really, should a woman be afraid of taking hormones? Okay, so
0: we have hormones in our body until we have menopause. So that's the first thing. So when the whole menopause is, when we're going through the menopause, you're just getting a decline in those hormones. So it's replacing the same hormones that you've had all your life. We're not giving you anything new that your body isn't recognizing. It's about replacing the same hormones that you've had for 50 years. So women get really scared about HRT and I say to them, why are you so worried? You've had estrogen and testosterone and progesterone and all these hormones in your body for 15 years. In your pregnancy, you've had 40 40 fold increased levels of the same hormones. So why all of a sudden at 50, you're so worried? And the worry is there because it's kind of propagated through media and through, uh, you know, these big headlines because of the dangers of HRT. And ironically, a lot of women are quite happy taking contraceptive pill, but not the HRT, but actually the HRT is far safer. And it's because conventionally we used HRT, which is hormone replacement therapy. We always knew HRT is great to relieve the menopause symptoms, but... The study, the largest study, the Women's Health Initiative, which is an American study which cost a billion dollars to undertake, was a study where the average age of women was 69. So the women recruited were anything from 50 to 70, and some of the women were already either overweight or had heart disease, they were smokers. And so, and some of them hadn't had HRT for 10 years and they're like, hang on, we're gonna give you HRT because the aim of the study was to look at whether it reduces risk of heart disease and osteoporosis. So they were looking at long-term effects and the problem there was the poor patient selection, okay? Because they should have used the woman who had just gone through menopausal or perimenopausal because they still have some hormones in them, not women who are 10 years, 15 years post-menopause, well, one of so the things
1: one of the things that we talked about uh, before, uh, you know, a few minutes before we started, I know I've been on the estrogen patch for twenty years, so I've lost track. Um, is the the a lot of women uh, and some doctors think that they only need to be on uh, a, a hormone replacement with the estrogen for a short period of time. Whereas, as we've talked about, uh, the benefits of being on it, it's a, it's a long-term solution to help yes. avoid what are the main causes of death in women, which is heart disease, is yes. one. So can you explain why um, you know, so many people think that they only need to take the estrogen for, I don't know, a short period of time, whereas it's really something that is preventative um, as well as um, being able to help at that particular point in time. I think that's, I mean, that's a good thing. We
0: should talk about why do we need to manage the menopause and what are the benefits of taking HRT? And then we can talk about the risk as well. So I normally, when I see someone in my clinic, I'll have a conversation with them saying, why is it important to manage the menopause and why not just, you know, get through it? When we go through the menopause, there are two goals for giving managing it with hormone replacement therapy. So short term is to relieve your symptoms. uh, And the symptoms are not just hot flushes and night sweats. The things like vaginal dryness, painful sexual intercourse, lack of libido, recurrent bladder infections, joint pains, muscle aches. And we haven't even talked about the cognitive functions, such as um, difficulty making decisions, self-doubt, low motivation, anxiety, low mood, brain fog, uh, someone will get vertigo. Um, You might start noticing that your cholesterol is going up, your blood pressure is going up, you're gaining weight mid-shift. And around your tummy area. So these are all the things that you're getting when you're going through the menopause. So it's important to address that. So hormone mm-hmm. replacement therapy will not only reverse all of those symptoms, but also it more importantly allows you to function in your personal life, in your professional life, and also improve your quality of life so you can enjoy and live a fulfilled life. You know, ultimately that's the end goal for treating with hormone replacement therapy in the short term and for me that's important and it goes back to what you said was we almost expect there's this conditioning a woman oh just put up with it you're going to get fat you're going to have an awful experience but that's not i think we need to change that narrative and be like well no you don't have to you don't have to feel that way and so there's some women the minute these symptoms happen they'll come to me They'll take the hormone replacement therapy, and they just won't have this experience of four years of suffering unnecessarily. So that's my first goal, to maintain your, not just integrity, but allow you to have a, continue having a loving relationship with your partner or your husband, continue to performing at work so you don't feel like, you know, you're not able to cope there. A lot of women end up giving up their careers because they find they can't take that next promotion. And unfortunately for women, um, the menopause happens at the same times as they're at the peak of their careers. So, and I say it's unfortunate because they wait. A lot of the women wait too long before they take help for their menopausal symptoms, and as a result, as a result, miss out on those career opportunities. And so, we know in workplace about fifty percent of the managerial workforce say in their 40s is female but when we get to the executive leadership roles in their midlife 50s there's hardly there's only 10 percent where happened to those women there's like a 40 percent drop and it's because they there's this there's this understanding of we just have to cope with it there's no help and hrt is dangerous and it goes back to that thing of we don't have to be like that it only happens to those symptoms will prolong if you don't do anything about it and so hormone replacement therapy will not only replace those symptoms, but will allow you to live a normal life at home and at work and function in your social environment. But let's talk about why we need to look at the long term benefits. Okay. The life expectancy for women is 85. That's on average in Australia. It's similar to in the Western world. Most women will go on to survive to 100 anyway. We're looking at 30 to 40 years postmenopause. So it's important to look at what we can do to prevent against the chronic illnesses that we get as we age. And this is what women are unaware of, that the main cause of death for women is heart disease, yeah. followed by dementia. The main cause of disability for women is a osteoporotic hip fracture, which essentially means they're walking on a flat floor, they trip and they break their hip. 80% of those women will not be able to live independently they'll have to go into an aged care or nursing home facility, coupled with dementia. And we know Alzheimer's disease, which is a commonest form of dementia for women, heart disease and osteoporosis, they're linked back to the lack of oestrogen at menopause. Menopause and the lack of oestrogen is a risk factor for all these three illnesses. So when we address that deficiency of oestrogen at menopause, We are preventing against these three illnesses, which are the main cause of disability and the main cause of death in women.
1: So when I, go ahead. Can I just interrupt for a second? One of the things that uh, when people say, oh, they're not taking HRT, it's because uh, there's cancer runs in their family. They're afraid of getting breast cancer. What do you, um, how do you advise women who have that in their head because it's it's something that's just told over and over and over. And if you ask someone why they're not taking it, they usually come up with that reason.
0: Yes. So, so the safest form of hormone replacement therapy is what we call body identical, in meaning that it has the same molecular structure as your own body, which is estradiol, Uh, is our natural endogenous oestrogen. And we want the same thing in our patches and gels. And then the progesterone, we want it to be natural as well. And that is micronized progesterone and micronized progesterone plant extracted. And this combination is neutral on the breast. Doesn't cause an increase in breast cancer. And we know this from even the studies that we did with the WHI study, that when we gave oestrogen to women, alone oestrogen, without progesterone, so if they had a hysterectomy, we would just give them oestrogen because we don't have to protect the lining of the womb. Oestrogen does not cause increase in breast cancer. So micronized progesterone with oestrogen does not increase your risk of breast cancer. Even if you have a family history of breast cancer, obviously that needs to be a close conversation. But breast cancer, I say to women, is a common disease. Without HRT, we are still at background risk of getting breast cancer. It affects one in eight women. If you took a thousand women, 23 women will get breast cancer. As long as we have breasts, we need to be doing our mammograms. We need to be becoming self-aware and breast aware in self-examining in the shower because that risk is there even without HRT. If I gave you oestrogen only, the number of women in background still are 23. There's no increased risk out of those 1,000 women getting breast cancer. If I combined it with the synthetic progestogen, which is what we used to use in the olden days, you'll get four extra cases of breast cancer, which is the same if I gave you a combined oral contraceptive pill at 50, you would still get four extra cases. But guess what? If you drank two glasses of any alcoholic beverage at night or half a bottle of wine, which a lot of women do, there's five extra cases of breast cancer. This is without HRT. And if your body mass index is more than 30, so body mass index is essentially your height divided by your weight, that's an extra 24 cases. So what we need to be really focusing on is giving woman hormone replacement therapy in a body identical, so myoconized progesterone estrogen, because this does not increase your risk of breast cancer, but focusing on the alcohol, the weight and the smoking. And I never really talk about the weight that much at the first appointment because the reason why they're gaining weight is because they don't have hormones. We know when you have a decline in estrogen, you become insulin resistant, You don't even change the way you eat or you exercise. You just put on weight. It's not You're not doing anything wrong. It's because you don't have enough hormones in your body. So replacing that estrogen, women will start to lose the weight automatically. When we sleep, we know sleep disturbance is linked with obesity and chronic illnesses. Waking up every hour with a hot flush will automatically put you at risk of gaining weight. The lack of estrogen will make you gain weight. So when we give you estrogen and improve your sleep, you'll sleep the whole night and you'll automatically improve your insulin sensitivity, which means your ability to store fat around the tummy improves and that will result in losing weight. So I don't even talk about the weight because at the three month follow up, a lot of women would have lost weight and will start moving and exercising because they've slept the night. They don't have the joint aches. They're eating better. They're not craving. So actually hormone replacement therapy reduces your overall risk of weight, smoking and alcohol intake because you feel great and you're sleeping better.
1: Not only that, but as you mentioned just a few minutes ago, it also increases your quality of life, your career, your mood, um, you're you're, uh, less susceptible to heart attack. To osteoporosis, um, to you know, just just so much that the long the long term uh, effects and um, what you gain from it um, override anything that the old myths, um, which need the the knowledge needs to get out there. We said this before: power, knowledge is power and we just have not disseminated all of this information. There is so much, but in our short talk just now between uh, mood swings and and sleep and uh, the way you you think and what we can take on and the fact that we need to give ourselves a break and to talk about it. There is a lot
0: more influence from Asia, in the form of using um, naturopathic uh, herbal remedies, Chinese medicine is great, acupuncture. We've got fantastic naturopaths. So, women tend to use more herbs and supplements and exercise and eat well. And actually, that's not a bad start because it means your baseline is very good. Um, but what I tend to see is they tend to don't seek help earlier because they soon realize that even the herbs when they've spent $2,000 a year on them, uh, on average menopause will last 7.5 years. So they'll come to me two to four years later um, saying, oh, I just can't cope with this. I need it to stop. And they'll start noticing changes because as herbs and supplements will help with some of the symptoms, but remember they don't give you any long-term benefits of prevention of osteoporosis or osteopenia Prevention of heart disease and Alzheimer's. So they're just helping with some of the symptoms of the menopause, but it's important to realize as time progresses, you're gonna start noticing things like the joint pains and the vaginal dryness and the cognitive symptoms. Um, you might notice you've got an osteoporotic hip fracture. You've tripped on a step and you fractured your wrist. So that's when they'll realize, actually I need to do something about it.
1: We talked about uh, the period of time for for menopause, but the estrogen is something that it sounds like we need um, throughout life in order you know, to cut down on, on um, heart attacks, uh, on osteo, on, on hip fractures and falling. Is it a bad thing for a woman to be on estrogen for a long period of time? Well, the guidelines
0: are they've removed any time limit on them. So you can be on it for as long as the benefits outweigh the risk for that individual. I had an 85 year old lady who I saw recently and uh, she refuses to come off her HRT. Not that I'm taking her off it (laughs) because she's her memory sharper than her children. She gardens for four hours a day. She lives on her own and Who am I to tell her that she can't have that quality of life? Um, So I think ultimately we need to stop scaremongering women and give the choices to the women. So I have a conversation with the woman and we come to an agreement together. It's not my decision. It's your decision. But as I said to you, you need to protect your heart, your brain and your bone. And these three are linked with the lack of estrogen at menopause. There's no cure for them when you get there. You need to change the trajectory that we've accepted. Oh, it's okay. As we age, we're going to end up in a nursing home. Well, that's not really true. So first of all, we've got to challenge that narrative. Once we've accepted that, then we become empowered. And then we're like, well, okay, great. So I don't have to age like that. There's something I can do about it. Great. Oestrogen prevents against all of these things. And if I eat a healthy diet and I keep my exercise, manage my stress have social connection is really important. As we age, we become more isolated and that is a risk for chronic disease. Social interaction, social connection is really important so we don't get that sense of loneliness because that can trigger our sympathetic drive, that fearfulness comes in and again can drive inflammation and chronic disease. So social connection is really important as we're aging because if we retire, then we lose that interaction at work. So I always say, keep going keep doing something, go do some community work. But that social connection and interaction is really important. Majority of women, the benefits outweigh the risk. As I said to you, if you're worried about the breast cancer risk with the body identical therapy, the risk is negligible, as I've explained already. The risk of stroke with a transdermal estrogen is not there. So even if you've had a clot or you've got a clotting disorder, A lot of women get told, oh, if you've got migraines, you can't take HRT. You can take transdermal estrogen is safe with a decision after you've spoken to your practitioner. So that for me, it's it's continuing what you've had for 50 years to the rest of your life. As long as you're alive, you you need your hormones for vitality. Otherwise, what's the point if you don't have a fulfilled life? I just don't understand why we even have this scaremongering thing where As long as we're living, we need to continue the hormones because hormones orchestrate about 400 or plus cellular mechanisms in your body. They orchestrate, there's estrogen is is basically a messenger and the receptors are over 400 over your body from your hair to your eyes, to your ears, to your heart, your blood vessels. I mean, it's actually detrimental. We know the lack of estrogen causes inflammation and causes disease. It's actually a
1: disservice to women by not giving them hormones. There is so much that we haven't really uh, gone into. To me, the main thing is to get the word out, to get the information out, to get the stigma away from the word menopause. You're not getting old. It's not a sign of age, um, age per se, Uh of that, oh my God, I'm not going to be able to do anything. Life has ended. Life can open up. I mean, talk about some of the things that, you know, you can start doing if you recognize the fact that this is not a death sentence. Um, Life opens up and you can think of it as, as just another chapter. Guess what? you don't get your period anymore. Boy, that's a bad thing. <laughs> I want to thank you for starting this conversation. We've hit upon quite a bit and I would love to catch up with you again in a few months and, and, and really continue the conversation because it's so important. Yes. And we as women need to know what's going on with our bodies and we need to know that we're not totally nuts. Um, give ourselves a break. You know, that's what it's all about. So where can people find out more about you? I know you have a huge, um, I found you on Instagram. So why don't you give us um, where they can find you on Instagram and where they can get more information?
0: Yes. Yeah, so I consult all over Australia and I can, we're lucky here, we can do telehealth and video health, but I can't see patients outside of Australia, but I've got lots of evidence-based information on my Instagram, it's under menopause specialist. I've ex- everything we've discussed today, everything about HRT is there. You can use it and take it to your medical professionals. And, um, you know, I think I'd just like to finish off on the fact that menopause is an opportunity to reinvent and recreate yourself. Mm-hmm. A lot of women with the right mindset will come on the other side, feeling confident, feeling more authentic, and feeling brave enough and courageous enough to do the things that they hadn't done is the time for you. You're not, you're not a mother, you're not a wife. This is about me. And I'm going to do the things I want to do because I've got another 40, 50 years and why not? So let's look at as something where we can grow and use that wisdom uh, towards our advantage.
1: Fatima again, thank you so much. And you will be back because this, conversation has to just keep going and going it's too important not to yes thank you Silva for having me my pleasure thank you for joining me today if you liked what you heard please share it with another person you think would be interested and if you haven't already please subscribe join me next week when i talk to another extraordinary inspiring woman Today's podcast is sponsored by Upper Deck, the national full-service virtual gym that has reinvented the at-home workout experience. Upper Deck has more than 30 strength and cardio classes a week. Named Best Fitness Club in the Gold Coast for 2020, Upper Deck brings the gym to you with live coaching and motivation. Upper Deck's unique classes are interactive. They have two coaches, one leading your workout and one keeping her eyes on you. Providing feedback and encouragement in real time. For a free week of unlimited virtual classes with no strings attached, email info at upperdeckfitness.com and let Upper Deck know you're a Sylvia and me listener. This has been a Life of Prey production.